0: Thanks to Health IQ for supporting Industry Focus. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance. To see if you qualify, go to healthiq.com slash fool to take the proprietary Health IQ quiz and potentially save up to 41% on premiums. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today, we're talking financials. Today, we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today, we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Today's Thursday, February 13th, and I'm Nick Sciple. Uh, today, we have a fun show planned for you. We've got a mailbag show. Hitting some of your top energy industrials questions that you've sent over the past few months. Joining me today is industry focused contributor, contributor Matt DeLalo. Matt, how's it going?
1: Doing good. How are you?
0: I'm doing great, Matt. Uh, it's been kind of dreary around here in DC lately, but I'm trying to be upbeat. And uh, you know, we're answering some fun questions here from our listeners today. Before we dive into that first question, though, just a question on the broader market uh, you look at how sectors have performed the S&P 500 so far this year. Uh, the tech sector leading the way it doesn't surprise anybody. Energy has been struggling, uh, but the surprising one uh, for me here is you look at utilities has been the number two performer so far this year. Matt, I know you invest in a lot of dividend stocks. Uh, Next Air Energy as a utility we've talked about on this show. Uh, what's been kind of your reaction? To how utilities have performed so far this year?
1: Yeah, I'm not too surprised that utilities are doing well. We're seeing the Fed uh, probably contributing a lot to that with um, you know keeping interest rates low, and that benefits utilities in two ways. Uh, first, they borrow a lot of money, so with rates low, they can borrow money pretty cheaply. And then, the other thing is, yield-seeking investors, they'll look for um, other opportunities when government bonds and CDs and things like that uh, are lower, because the Fed uh, utilities are kind of a, a, a lower-risk way that they can get yield, and so they're kind of bidding up utilities, searching for that yield, because you know, 4% on a safe utility is better than 2% on a, a government bond. So, I think it's a lot of Fed-driven.
0: Yeah, and that ties in uh, right with our first question. Jeffrey wrote in, said, First off, thanks for all that you do. He loves the show. He was hoping we could dive into the water utility industry. It seems that there's a huge amount of opportunity moving forward, since clean water is so important to living well. Additionally, a lot of infrastructure spending has been kicked down the road over the past several decades. However, he finds the opportunity to be compelling his industry as a whole, but he's unable to differentiate between the many stocks, which often have similar returns over the past three and five years. Matt, if you look at the water industry ETF, that's actually outperformed, uh, uh, outperformed the S&P 500 over the past year. Uh, any thoughts, for Jeffrey, on the water utility industry?
1: Yeah, well, just like the electric and gas utility industry, water is kind of drawing the same type of investors. So, you're getting the yield-seeking investors, and those are looking for low risk. So, they're going to move a lot in uh, in the same direction. And they're, they're all growing the same way. They, they can't really raise rates on uh, water supply to customers because of the regulations and things like that. So, you're going to get your, your steady growth out of most water utilities. Uh, one of the big ones to look at is American Waterworks. They're growing their earnings 7 to 10% per year over the next couple of years. And that's about what you'll get. I mean, that's that's probably in the higher end for water utilities. and They really they can either acquire growth or they can you know build you know uh, build um connections to to new communities and things like that so it's not a fast growing industry by any means and, that, and that's why it's kind of a draw to income investors
0: Absolutely, Matt. I looked up a quote here from from Dean Dre of RBC Capital Markets. He's a guy who focuses heavily on the water industry, and he talks about water utilities representing an important defensive growth part of the water sector. About seventy percent of the spending in that in this industry is break and fix, meaning you're replacing that that infrastructure that's in place. Talk about what Jeffrey said about about we've had years of underinvestment there. Uh, and the number that he he puts out there is saying that there can be estimates of up to $1 trillion needed to replace uh, existing infrastructure. So, there definitely needs to be investment there going forward. Another area that I would look at, if you're looking at water outside of the utilities, uh, we talked about, uh, almost a year ago, um, I had John Rotanti on the show, and we talked about A. O. Smith, which is a water heater company. They also have exposure to water purification, uh, particularly uh, in China. They've had some issues with that business, but that, that is an area where there's where I think there's going to be a lot of growth, a lot of focus uh, on clean water uh, in in countries in Asia and elsewhere. And I think that'll be a growth opportunity for folks that are providing uh, those kind of filtration systems. So that's an area to look look around. Danaher is a company that has exposure there. I mentioned A.O. Smith. Uh, so if you want to look and invest in water, uh, that'd be an area that that maybe I would I would look at uh, and think about uh, paying attention to
1: yeah, I definitely agree. Those are different options, especially looking for more of a growth. Um, you know somebody's got to supply all those the the things that go into water. Uh, another thing that I've kind of been keeping my eye on is uh, desalinization and more of the overseas. There's just some opportunities for infrastructure. And two companies that I've got my eye on are uh, Atlantica Yield. They mostly focus on renewable energy, but they do have some desalinization plants that they've invested in. They see desalinization being a $26.8 billion market opportunity over the next five years. And then, um, we, we talked about Brookfield in the past, uh, Brookfield Infrastructure and then Brookfield Business Partners. They're both interested in water. Not big businesses, but they're, they're making investments in that. And so, that's kind of a, a side way to play water.
0: Absolutely. I think just fundamentally, water is just, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it's pretty low down on there. So, so this is an important piece of infrastructure that we're just going to have to invest in and, and maintain. Uh, you know, Nobody wants to be uh, the next Flint, Michigan, uh, that's for sure. Um, right. Moving on, uh, Don asks, can you help me figure out how to play the natural gas-slash-LNG oversupply? He has some Brookfield Renewable Partners. He says he doesn't want us to talk about shorting, though, uh, that the market can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent. Matt, any thoughts? Uh, for Don here,
1: yeah, I definitely agree with uh, try to avoid shorting if all possible because I've been burned on shorting in the past. Um, but yeah, oversupplies in the commodities space. It's tough to get out of it. You know, companies they see the growth ahead and they they touch, they almost always get ahead of themselves, and that that's what we're seeing in natural gas. We know that there's an undersupply coming in LNG. Uh, probably in the next five years. And real Dutch shell is a good company for investors to pay attention to, because they um, they put out an annual outlook on LNG market, and they really see that we're going to need more gas, because uh, countries like China are trying to get rid of coal and convert to natural gas. Um, however, in, you know, in the near term, there's just this glut. And so, there's really two ways to kind of consider playing a glut, and that's looking at who's going to benefit, who's, who's consuming gas. You look at demand. And your natural gas utilities, for example, petrochemical companies, the manufacturing, those are all companies that will benefit from low natural gas. There's other factors that play a role. You know, economic growth can impact those. Uh, and then the other way is midstream. We talk about pipeline companies a lot on this show, um, and that, that that's a good way because it doesn't matter what the price of gas is especially if they operate the long-haul pipelines, uh, you know, kind of the interstate highway system, the natural gas, your Kinder Morgan, your Williams companies, Trent's uh, or TC Energy, they'll benefit as gas demand grows, which we see happening, but there's risk there too. Uh, Williams has a lot of uh, producer supply risk uh, because they gather a lot of natural gas. And so if there's bankruptcies, that could be an issue, but, um, you know, they should benefit from. No matter what happens with natural gas,
0: yeah, natural gas has just been a really tough market. Uh, as you mentioned, Matt, with all this oversupply, has driven the price down uh, so low, and you've got all this flaring going on in Texas, uh, where you know it's it's cheaper to just burn the gas off than actually bring it to market. This is just a tough place to be in. I think those are good places to look. Uh, our next question kind of touches on this market as well. Uh, Kenny asks: Is Intero Midstream a dividend play or a dividend trap? Is he very intrigued uh, by the company? 30 cents per share uh, per quarter in dividends, currently trading at $6.50 a share. Is this a dividend trap? Will the dividend inevitably inevitably be lowered in the future? Matt, any thoughts on Intero Midstream?
1: Yeah, I've been watching this company for a couple of years now, and they were initially projecting that they were going to grow their dividend like 30% per year for like five years out in the future, and they have just been ratcheting down that outlook. It seems like every six months they're adjusting their outlook. So, my confidence in their management's the bit the forecast is you know, shot right now. Uh, you know, so, there's that. But the other thing I look at is the metrics for the dividend. So, this year, they expect to generate enough cash to cover it by 1.1 times. And that's a really tight coverage ratio. Right now, midstream companies are looking for 1.5 to 2 times. And it's not looking good for the next two years. 1.1 to 1.3 is kind of what they're projecting. And that's well below what they initially thought. And a lot of that's because their parent company, Antero Resources, uh, keeps cutting back on what they're spending, so they're not growing as fast. So, I'm, I would not be surprised to see a dividend cut here. Uh, if for no other reason than they could use the buyback stock, which is a lot of companies doing. So, I, I wouldn't buy it for the dividend.
0: Yeah, Matt. You you mentioned this relationship between Antero Midstream and Antero Resources. Uh, You mentioned earlier uh, when we talk about uh, some threats to midstream companies of uh, when the ENP players that that are that are their customers uh, have issues. When you look at Antero Resources, should we be worried about any of those concerns here in this case?
1: You know, it's really tough to, to tell what's going to happen with Antero. They They've projected one thing, and it hasn't come to pass. One of their biggest issues is they signed up for these long-haul pipelines, which I really like long-haul pipelines, but they signed up for more space than they can handle. And so, they literally have to drill their way out of this problem, and so they're they're actually contributing to the problem, because they need to grow their production so that they're not paying for basically empty space in the pipeline. And you've got a company that that's really drilling themselves into a hole, and the question is, Will gas prices support them in the future? And I'm just I'm getting really concerned about how these companies are operating. And I would be very careful with Antero.
0: Yeah, to, to Matt's point, this is just a really tough industry right now. I would be very careful uh, with any U.S. shale natural gas companies right now. Just really hard uh, to see through those clouds on the horizon to see what the market looks like three to five years from now. So just, just tread lightly and be careful. All right. On the back half of the show, we'll talk about the Opportunity Zone tax credit. We'll talk about uh, the lithium market. But first, average eight hours of sleep per night. Check. Eat a quality plant-based diet. Check. Exercise four or more times per week. Check. Basically, you're doing everything right to ensure you live a long life. Isn't it time you be financially rewarded for your commitment to a healthy lifestyle? So we're introducing Health IQ. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates for people like you on their life insurance. Health IQ can save you up to 41% because physically active people have significantly lower risks for heart disease, cancer, and diabetes. But these savings are exclusive to Health IQ. You won't find them anywhere else, and you must qualify to get a special rate. To see if you qualify, go to healthiq.com fool to take the proprietary Health IQ quiz. Depending upon your score, as well as other related qualifying factors, you can save up to 41% on your life insurance premiums compared to other providers. That's healthiq.com/fool. All right, Matt. As we sit here today in 2020, we're looking at a looking back at a 10-year bull market. When you look at your portfolio today, would you say you have a lot of unrealized capital gains?
1: Thankfully, yes. It's been very nice being an investor for the past decade.
0: Yeah, I think I think all of us, if you've invested over this time, it's it's it's, it's been great. And that kind of ties in uh, to what Stuart asked us. Stuart says, "I love your shows. I've had this question about stock capital gains and investing in real estate opportunity zones." Is it possible to avoid stock capital gains tax by reinvesting them into real estate opportunity zones? And I can answer this question. Yes, it is possible. Uh, and I think for all the all these tax questions, I would talk to your talk to your tax advisor. Uh, can't, we can't give personalized financial advice. But with all that being said, if you if you look at opportunity zones, this is an incentive that was put in place uh, with the tax cuts uh, a few years back, where uh, states uh, governors were allowed to designate uh, certain. Uh, tracks in their state up to 25% of census tracts in their state that met certain income requirements as opportunity zones, and that allowed opportunity funds that either invested in real estate or businesses uh, in those opportunity zone areas to create these opportunity funds. And that, and what happens if you're an investor in an opportunity fund, you can roll over uh, your capital gains uh, from from other investment gains into an opportunity fund, and that allows you uh, to defer capital gains on, on that original investment you sold. Uh, and get a step up basis as well. And In addition, uh, the investment you make in the opportunity fund, if you hold up to ten years, uh, you can pay. You can end up paying uh, no capital gains on that investment. Obviously, there's there's a lot of qualifiers in that. There's a lot of uh, special rules about qualifying for an opportunity fund. Um, but yeah, this is a huge opportunity that the tax cuts back a couple of years ago opened up. When you look at unrealized capital gains in the U.S. today, if I remember the number right, I want to say it's in the trillions. So, large amounts of capital being opened up to invest in these lower-income areas. Uh, obviously, uh, there's there's a limited number of these areas and large amounts of capital. Lot, large, lots of folks want to take advantage uh, of this being able to divert your capital gains. So there's been a lot of competition uh, for these investment funds, but this is an opportunity uh, that, that folks can look into. And, and maybe we'll do a full show um, on on this uh, tax opportunity uh, moving forward. But to answer to answer, uh, answer Stewart's question briefly, yes, uh, is it is possible to avoid stock capital gains by reinvesting them into real estate opportunity zones? Okay, uh, moving on. Uh, Matt, our, our next question is from Amar. Amar asks, what's the market for lithium producers, such as SQM, and why has the market trailed the broader market by so much? You realize that SQM is not a pure lithium producer. Matt, do you follow the lithium market at all?
1: A little bit. It has a lot of uh, overlay with the um, energy storage and renewables, so it's definitely something that I'm trying to keep an eye on.
0: Yeah, so so to briefly answer Amara's question, why has has lithium producers as SQM trailed the broader market by so much? The brief answer is just oversupply. Morgan Stanley is forecasting that new supply from South America and Australia could add up to five hundred thousand tons of lithium to the market by the year twenty twenty five. That's about double of the current annual supply. At the same time, we're seeing EV demand. Uh, actually, slow in the biggest market in the world, uh, which is China, as they've slowed back uh, on some EV incentives. That's why lithium, lithium, uh, the metals price has fallen about forty percent uh, in the past year. And so this is just one of those instances where uh, the, the the demand drivers for the industry EVs uh, or or storage batteries are growing at a slower rate than the supply is growing. So that's really driven down uh, the price of the metal. Uh, Matt, when you when you look at lithium, obviously there's been a massive oversupply. These 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 suppliers have struggled. You know, it's obviously a play in this EV storage battery trend. When you look at that trend, is there another area of the market uh, that you think uh, to play that trend might be a more attractive investment, or might uh, be less susceptible to these commodity swings uh, than lithium?
1: Yeah, it's it's really commodities are really tough, and I've been following oil and gas and you know metals for uh, I think I'm almost on like 10 years doing this and it's very cyclical. And so these companies, they get ahead of themselves and, and, you know, they, they see growth coming ahead and they start investing and it always gets ahead of themselves. And that, that's why I tend to like, uh, more of the interest infrastructure plays or, you know, your utility. So, you know, kind of a backdoor way of playing lithium, if you want. And we, we talked about, um, Next, next uh, era energy before, but they're really big. And they're one of the leaders in energy storage, and you know, so it's kind of the other side of that—they're consuming it, but they're they're almost banking that lithium prices and battery prices are going down because uh, of all this overcapacity. So it's going to improve their returns, and they're they're really seeing a big uptick, especially in solar plus storage, and they see the cost of that coming down to. Being almost on par with uh, efficient natural gas power plants in the next couple of years. So, that's my safe way of playing this whole area. Uh, just because, uh, you know, mining companies are, are just really tough. You have to have, a you know, kind of an iron stomach to kind of get through the booms and busts of it. And, um, you know, so, it, it's definitely not for everybody.
0: Yeah. I just think, I think on these mining companies, you have to be right, just, you have to get a lot of more, lot more things right to make money. So you have to get right that demand is growing in that underlying market. So in this case, EVs, EVs, and uh, and storage batteries. Number two, you have to be right on the supply and demand balance of other producers in the market. And number three, you have to you probably have to time it right because it's so cyclical. So it's just really tough uh, to make money in that market. An area that I would also suggest looking at is when you think about the the uh, the infrastructure that needs to go into to developing these assets. If you're charging. Uh, an EV, or, or, you're, uh, or you're, or or uh, doing solar uh, to, to charge these batteries. All of these, all of these need an inverter. We've talked in the past about Inphase Solar Edge, the, the inverters that that they sell. Uh, I think I think that that'd be an interesting business um, um, to look at. And there's other businesses that, that make some of those products um, that go into EVs. So so I, I would look into the components and I would look into the infrastructure um, as Matt suggested. Okay, Matt. Uh, last question for us going away. Tomorrow is Valentine's Day. Love is in the air. Do you have a stock that you love right now, and why? Uh,
1: I've I've talked about my love for Brookfield several times on the show. Uh, so, and I'm just going to go with the Brookfield Asset Management because I, I really couldn't decide between Brookfield Renewable or Brookfield Infrastructure. Uh, and Brookfield Asset Manager is the you know the parent of all of these um, kind of sub companies, and they. They have renewables, they have infrastructure, they have real estate, and then they have private equity. And so, you're getting into all these different um, businesses. But one of the things I really love about Brookfield, other than they've been a fantastic stock, returned very well, but uh, their CEO and their management teams, they put out uh, letters to, to investors every quarter. and. Uh, they're second, in my mind, to Warren Buffett's letter, as like a must-read for investors. They, they're they're very educational. Uh, you know, they they break things down like the economy and what's going on in different sectors. So uh, it's one of my favorite companies just to learn about different parts of the economy and learn how to be a investor, their valued investors. And so I have a lot of affection for Brookfield.
0: Yeah, Matt, I think Brookfield Brookfield is a great one, as you mentioned, exposed to a lot of the trends that we talked about earlier on this show. And uh, you know, with as much time as we spend talking about Brookfield and its underlying companies on this show, if we don't love it, uh, you know, we're we're spending way too much time talking about it, Matt. So uh, as always, thanks, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for sharing your insights, and we look forward to having you on again soon.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the glass. For Matt Delalo, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and full on.